University of Texas Press presents Building Antebellum New Orleans, Free People of Color and Their Influence by Tara A. Dudley. Building Antebellum New Orleans is a significant and deeply researched examination of the free 19th century black developers who transformed the cultural and architectural legacy of New Orleans. It is available for pre-order now at utexaspress.com and wherever good books are sold. Welcome to the Harper's Podcast. My name is Violet Luca, and I'm the web editor. Before January 6th, 2021, perhaps you'd only heard about QAnon in broad strokes. Something about Hillary Clinton, John Podesta, and pedophilia? Or maybe you're one of the many unfortunate souls around the globe who has been permanently estranged from a friend, a lover, a spouse, or a family member because they believe in QAnon. The siege on the U.S. Capitol and the pro-Trump rallies at state capitals that took place last week showed the world how deeply held this galaxy of beliefs is and that it can be mobilized en masse and in real life. In the January issue, Hari Kunzru, author of Gods Without Men, White Tears, and Red Pill, wrote about QAnon and the universal human tendency to reject complexity in both our understanding of politics and the mechanics of the universe. I spoke with Kunzru about QAnon, what happened on the 6th, and how we can more productively discuss the movement and our own biases. I often have a difficult time speaking with other people about QAnon because they want to write believers off as dumb, crazy red staters, or they can't get past the you know funny ways they express their beliefs and that's not wrong because obviously there's we don't know how many people believe in QAnon. Like there's not a survey. And so there are probably people who fit those descriptions among their believers. But what I like about your essay is that it shows that we are all susceptible to believing the wrong thing, largely because we are so stuck in our own ideas about what is and isn't the right explanation. Is it beautiful? Is it simple? Etc. And while it's important to acknowledge that QAnon is blood libel with 90s thriller aesthetics, you know, <laughs> you know, red pilled after all comes from the matrix. Uh, do you think that understanding the limits of what we believe could help to lead to a more productive conversation about this phenomenon? Yes, I do. I think one of our issues is that is that we have a kind of set of intuitions about what's plausible and what's not plausible. And that doesn't necessarily bear much relationship to the truth. Um, you know, we're we're accustomed now, I think it's very culturally normalized to believe that we're not in possession of all the facts. And um it's a question of what we do with that information. I mean, when I'm whenever I'm talking about this, I end up quoting Donald Rumsfeld, which is, you know, uh well, that's just, you know, it is what it is. But I mean, he famously spoke about there are known unknowns and unknown unknowns. Right. And um, it's a question of, our, you know, what we do with that relationship to the thing that we don't know. We, we, we tend to want to fill it with something. 
And the hope is that there'll be some kind of explanation, some kind of finality, something that feels actually adequate to the kind of intense sort of sensory bombardment that we experience. Um, And sadly, as far as I can see, you know, this is my intuition, our fate is to have to live in this sort of rather suspended state of kind of partial understanding. And, you know, some people are just better at that than others. And some people find that more troubling than others. I mean, one thing about Q believers is that they are, are hoping to, to boil this down, this, this uh, complexity down to something that's human scale and human size. And, and, you know, that's not something that, the people should mock per se you know the content of mm. q is absurd and shows that people are kind of poor judges of 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 cause and effect and they don't understand institutions and they don't understand how power works but mm. the need to do that to try and make this unmanageable world manageable i think is an entirely human response and deserves sympathy absolutely some people even think that if you do what you love, uh, you never work a day in your life. And that's just fucking stupid. Um, <laughs> um, and what, what I find interesting about, there's, there are so many things to find interesting about QAnon. And what happened at the Capitol, you know, these, these mass protests, Q hasn't posted since December 8th. So all of this happened independently of their this ostensible leader of the movement and the movement has gotten more violent without q being like oh you need to go in and blow people up so what do we make of this thing the system of belief that's just sort of rolling along at the behest of its followers what do what do we make of that well, I think the first thing is to, to understand is that Q predated Q or the system of belief predated Q. You know, even within the very kind of immediate precursor of Q, of Q where, you know, when it was uh, the kind of 8chan, 8kun sort of Chan site that it, it was mm-hmm. formulated on. If you look back as the people from Bellingcat, the research organization have done to try and kind of work out what the origins were, um, Q, when he turns up, or he or she, or what, whoever is controlling the account, turns up and makes this post saying, you know, there are about to be mass arrests. The proof is that, you know, you'll see National Guard being activated. Go up and ask somebody, you know, are they on duty at time X? That Then you'll know the storm is coming. This exciting mm-hmm. post actually just used a lot of elements that had already been around on that site, you know, and 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 done in a kind of almost literary way. I mean, it's an odd word perhaps mm-hmm. to use about it, but, um, you know, we're, we're kind of familiar now with a sort of joking, not joking, weird sort of space of, of, of kind of not quite seriousness that a lot of far right uh, political conversation exists in. But there was an element on on HN of of people just kind of making up stories, making up kind of X Filesy stories, and you know mm-hmm. people had floated the idea of mass arrest. People had floated idea of all sorts of conspiracy shaped ideas, and people had floated the idea of a mole inside the government. And so somebody basically just put together a lot of pre existing elements and ran with it. And I and I'm I, 
again, you know, via Bellingcat, I discovered that the person who did it had a sort of dry run that nobody paid any attention to a few months previously. And then this post, for whatever reason, caught fire and they carried on in this persona of the high security clearance uh, uh, operative who was, mm-hmm. uh, you know, giving the faithful information from from the inside. And, and then it kind of migrated further outwards. I mean, another thing that I... I think it's important to understand about Q and the culture of Q is 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 it it's social. When there's a new yes. drop or when there was a new drop, people would gather, you know, either virtually or even actually to to discuss it, to kind of, you know, try to and kind of the crumbs. Yeah, to tease <laughs> it out. I mean, there was a kind of book club element. There's a sort of, you know, crossword puzzle, Sudoku element to it. <laughs> it's a kind of common or Everybody felt that they were engaged in something exciting, important, and and, and I mean, and, and another important thing is that it's gamified. I mean, there are some very interesting mm-hmm. commentary from games designers, especially people who who make or uh, you know augmented reality games. You know, where there's a sort of uh, you know, and then things like Pokemon Go, where there's a sort of game layer o- over the top of some sort of real world layer, layer. You know, you go to a particular place and you unlock uh, an activity. And Q is a kind of gamified reality for people who, um, you know, who are looking for meaning, who are looking for community and who are looking for, frankly, for a sort of significance in their lives that the other things in their lives don't offer. And this, this essential kind of basket of elements, a kind of communally generated mythology, a feeling of, of importance, all these things don't really depend on this particular single narrative of the insider giving the secret information and it's you know as you as you know it's ramified way beyond its original uh a kind of set of 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 mythological points and it's there's i mean there's Mm -hmm. now all sorts of highways and byways of q law i mean many of which contradict each other so this i mean it's 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 very it's very fulfilling in in a way and i think it it will probably uh fragment and ebb away over the next uh you know period of time if there's not this kind of unifying factor there and the kind mm. of uh the sort of fake third act drama of you know mm. are the arrests imminently coming because i think it's clear to even the most ardent believers that perhaps the arrests aren't coming. I mean, I think the only holdout seems to be the person who's in charge of the county uh, Republican Party. And I think, I can't remember which Nevada county he put out a, uh, a statement a day or two ago. So saying that, don't worry, it's all still coming and the mass arrests are <laughs> imminent. But for most people, I think they know in their hearts that that's not happening. But at the same time, they feel that there is some essential truth to this. You know, I mean, there are people that I'm close to who have lately taken to saying things like, well, it's Hollywood. You know, people who are in Hollywood have a a lot of power in our society. I mean, someone asked me whether I, you know, uh, uh, did I have access to vaccines because I was in Hollywood? <laughs> um, and this kind of thinking, I mean, people feel that there's a, you know, there's a kind of power that they don't have access to. There's a kind of power that's not visible, that decisions are taken in, you know, frankly, in a non-democratic way. I mean, one of the things about the mm-hmm. Q mythology is that it's a bottom-up thing. It's a grassroots thing. I mean, I, in my Harper's piece, I compared it to, 
you know, I said it's got it's got a kind of long history. There's a sort of hedge research, a kind of amateur, out of the academy kind of research about how the world works. It has almost sort of always gone on. You know, I mean, you see pamphlets from the English Civil War that could have almost been written right now with the same kind of conspiratorial tone and the same sense that, you know, imminently the revelation is going to come. I mean, and it's it's a way of, of kind of thematizing your powerlessness about a way of thematizing your wish for, I mean, a kind of redemption or a kind of millennium to come where where everything, a golden age is going to come. I mean, these, you know, a lot of these people latched on to Trump, you know, as, as somebody who was going to cleanse the, you know, what was it? It was uh, drain the swamp, wasn't it? Right. He was going to cleanse the the world of its impurities and there was going to be a kind of, you know, greatness, decency and honor and all that. I mean, the, the irony, of course, being that, you know, he is the swamp. They put the swamp <laughs> in charge of the of the government and, and he's, you know, will I'm sure emerge that there are sort of staggering levels of corruption in the last four years. Yeah, I think what you said about the participatory element and the social element of QAnon is really crucial because, you know, to quote Joe M, who is one of the great, uh, <laughs> one of the great QAnon uh, decoders, <laughs> prophets, he said, you know, we're digital soldiers. We're trying to wake up people and our only weapon is the truth. So that you can kind of sew yourself into the narrative. And not only that, but also as you were alluding to, you find this new intellectual engagement, you find a way to feel valuable, you find something that, you know, perhaps you are alienated from your labor, let's say, and you're living in a time of like, we're, we're economically, we're kind of, we're kind of going down the tube here. But does that, you know, you've written about conspiracy theories uh, before, in Gods Without Men, and in Red Pill, the new, your new novel. To what extent does ego have to play in any sort of belief system or specifically one where where it's it's this idea of like I have this secret knowledge and I'm making things better well i'm I'm very interested in 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 what that feeling about yourself does to you, the kind of drama it, it brings to your life and you know I mean obviously we've you know we've painted a picture of of perhaps kind of relatively powerless people for whom that provides a a, a kind of a grandeur and and, and a narrative and a, a sort of sense of shape to 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 lives that might otherwise be be lonely i mean i can't remember who it was said recently this isn't my line but that i mean that conspiracy appeals to the lonely mind that mm-hmm. uh that people who are you know who are kind of have have sort of strong social ties tend to be more inoculated against that i mean obviously we, there are mass delusions as well but that's another thing but what i wanted to say is that there's also there's also a sense of this sort of specialness and this sort of possession of secret knowledge that we associate with the bohemian and with um with a kind of almost like an artistic pose there's a kind mm-hmm. of um there is a there's a well-worn pathway between a certain sort of artistic bohemia and fascism frankly that that goes through this idea of 
Now, I am the, I'm among the crowd, but I'm not of the crowd. I have a superior mm-hmm. understanding or, or a superior sensibility. You know, often bohe- you know, people, people in a certain sort of bohemian milieu have historically gotten into the occult, you know, all the kind of Crowleyites mm-hmm. in the 20s or the Church of Satan people in, in the West Coast in the 70s. And then, you know, and, and then now, uh, I mean, one could say that the elements of the sort of Pepe Keck mythology and also of, of, of QAnon a kind of a cult as well. I mean, the the hidden knowledge and the revelation and the kind of magical bringing things into being just through your uh, kind of arcane researches. Um, so I think the other element of Q is a, is a kind of is a kind of weird bohemianism. I mean, that's I think everybody's fascinated by the Q shaman dude. Yes, because I, I mean, him, not yeah. just because he looks he looks you know wild and 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 he's he's got this sort of appropriative native american thing happening but all but also because he's outwardly what a lot of these these guys in in kind of red caps and lumberjack shirts kind of are inside you know i mean they feel themselves mm-hmm. to be to be kind of shaman and seers and and the people who are desperately trying to wake up the sheeple um, right. and uh, they are people who are, have come out of the mass, but who are not of the mass and, and, you know, and the transformation that they wish to, to, you know, us all to participate in is, is this kind of revelation is this kind of total transformation of, of, of all our understanding of the world, you know, the, the red pill. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, the other thing that's really important to keep in mind about the Q shaman is that, you know, on the face of it, this looks ridiculous. You know, he's he's got a furry hat with horns, but the he has the like paganist tattoos that have been appropriated by neo Nazis. You know, he's like an Ultima Thule guy. That's what that's that that's where he's the shaman. And of course, it's like because he kind of stood out because he made a good photo op. Of course, he was ripe to be singled out as like this guy's actually BLM. This guy is fake, blah, 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 and, and be smeared despite the fact that he's um, really fervent. And, you know, he, you know what? He, maybe he does care about climate change, too, but that of the crowd, but, you know, with the crowd, like that's such a, I think, a crucial element of this. I mean, you know, you mentioned you mentioned sort of an environmentalist angle there. And I mean, let's not let's not forget the the long and storied history of of. Uh, of environmental causes and 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 the far right. I mean, in that mm-hmm. kind of back to nature shamanistic persona that he has, and which kind of and which Q has in the sense that it's about rebalancing. It's you know things are out of whack, and we're going to get you know we can we're going to kind of regain the 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 cosmic balance. Mm-hmm. You know these are these are ancient ideas, and you know I'm everybody. Everybody remembers that Hitler was a vegetarian, and you know I've just been sitting there on the on the internet before you called, uh, slightly randomly watching a pair of German neo Nazis do a cooking show called Balaklava Kuche, uh, and uh, I mean they're there in their balaclavas cooking tasty vegan dishes and uh, and and ranting against immigration and because uh, they're trying to purge what they're trying to purge and purify is the taint 
of immigration and of and yeah i mean and i think i think purity is obviously is obviously deeply important in a certain way i mean whether that's christianized or whether that's paganized then it's it's a it's part of the narrative the sort of straight edge the pollution of modern life and the and the wish for some kind of organic wholeness i mean it's all in there it's, and and it is very hard to make any kind of definitive statement about any of this because it's a kind of you know it's a it's a it's a movement rather than a top down ideology and people can pick or choose but it's certainly not you know your grandfather's far right i mean this is you know this is a sort of post 60s kind of far right you know it's it's the it's the journey from uh dennis hopper in easy rider and living free to the idea of you know sort of rebellion as being this kind of coded and commodified thing that everyone can can purchase with a harley davidson into this into this kind of new world where a lot of um you know, a lot of self-described rebels and, you know, and, and countercultural believers end up not on the left as one traditionally kind of thought of them, but on, on a kind of extreme right. I mean, there was some sort of weird study done about Brexit in, in Britain, which suggested that, that, you know, there's a kind of cohort of, of old punks, you know, aged about 60 now who found Brexit a kind of sort of, you know, punk way of, uh, of sticking there, giving the finger to the establishment. And, you know, and clearly that's, that's there in the, in the people at the Capitol. They feel that they've come from below to take back the people's house. Yeah. And I mean, what's hard, or at least a way into understanding this a little bit better is that their mistrust of authority is in some ways very granted. Their mistrust of the media, which sold us on the Iraq war, that there is a bias in the media. I would agree with that, that they're, you know. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. I mean, there are elements of the analysis that are absolutely correct. And then they, and then the causes that they, they uh, look to, you know, the, the, the answers that they look to are, are incorrect you know you you mm -hmm. say you know things things seem to be sliding for me economically who's behind it trump says it's the immigrant you know and but definitely this idea of uh, of the msm which is now a kind of it's almost been so banalized that i hear it out of the <laughs> mouths of you know people who work for the new york times right <laughs> but the, you know there is a there is an understanding i think because we now all consume a lot of a, a lot of what was essentially underground media you know 20 years ago everybody's on all sorts of weird social media kind of feeds that 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 that, that give them versions of the world that were simply not available before the internet and we're aware of the of the construction of power within within elite institutions of all kinds and the media is one of those institutions it's a you know it's overwhelmingly a kind of ivy league business here as it you know in britain it's a kind of oxbridge business there's a there is a you know an overton window of acceptable opinion that is mm -hmm. not shaped by the the kind of uh I mean, it's it's shaped by the power interests of the people who belong, I and mean, all that is completely correct. Um, and there is a certain sort of denial of of that power 
that has that has pervaded those institutions a kind of unwillingness to interrogate their own i mean maybe our own since you know we are in a harper's <laughs> magazine podcast and our own uh you know positions in our own priors really so you know it's yeah. it's 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 understandable as you say that these kind of these kind of feelings are running around the 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 culture a sort of disavowed power is uh you know makes people think that the wool is being put over their eyes that there is a conspiracy that behind the lot is you know and i i think i said in the, in the essay that you know the hope is that you could just bust down the door of a of a boardroom and find the 12 guys there and deal with them and then the the story will come to a happy ending and the this you know the sadness of that you know the, the patheticness of that position is that it's such a sort of impoverished understanding of how power actually works and you know how you could you could uh, shoot a lot of members of the elite and absolutely nothing would change yeah yeah there's a systemic critique that isn't easier to believe one of the oldest ways to start a war or to instigate hatred of a people is to say, well, they're killing children. But this is a fundamental taboo that you can go back to. But I mean, is, I mean as you say, it's, it's the blood libel. And that's what's most mm -hmm. chilling about this is that so many, uh, so many people are, are repeating a, a very, very clear anti-Semitic trope that is, you know, as we right. know, it's a thousand years old. Yeah. But despite the fervency the the complete belief in this lie you know they'll pull in people by saying that oh 150,000 children go missing without acknowledging that most of those children were just like taken by their divorced dad and then they come back and it's not like there's like 450,000 missing children every year like that's <laughs> not a real number but it's a way to kind of get people who i don't know maybe they're into new age crystal healing they're kind of more spiritual people because they 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 want to care they want to think that they're caring in the right way but when the cute when these people came to the u.s capitol building setting aside the fact that they were just largely let in to kind of do whatever they wanted they they got what they wanted they got in they seized the dais and then they didn't really do much they kind of milled around, they live streamed themselves doing illegal things, they took selfies, they took selfies with cops. So the movement is unique in that it really, except for getting Donald Trump to or somebody to hand down the indictments, this movement really doesn't have any political demands. It's a it's a moral rather than a political aim. Which makes it uh, a kind of exciting prospect for the Hawleys and the cruisers of this world because there are a lot of people who feel that they could stand in front of it and then use it as their sort of personal army to yeah. execute whatever their polit political agenda is. I mean, I remember in the early days of the Trump presidency, there were all sorts of people who seemed to think that they could control or domesticate Trump mm -hmm. and kind of turn him towards some sort of coherent agenda and um i mean one of one of trump's talents as a politician is his ability to smell when when people are trying to manipulate him and then causing chaos uh that uh 
ends up damaging them. I mean, as we know, virtually everybody who stood next to him has been destroyed. And he's, mm-hmm. you know, he's still, you know, as of the time of, of, of us speaking, he's still standing, you know, still sort of executing a sclerotic little shuffle to YMCA in front of his ridiculous <laughs> border wall. And, you know, it's it's a movement rather than a party. I mean, I think that's that's an important mm-hmm. thing. It's a, it's a, it's become a kind of cultural stance. I mean, it maps quite, you know, relatively well onto the sort of Tea Party thing that was the kind of last, the last very sort of coherent articulation of this. But it and it maps, you know, more generally onto a kind of white identity politics that you know one associates with kind of uh liking that mel gibson william wallace movie and calling yourself scots irish and 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 you know and and uh and you know i don't know bow and luke duke from the dukes of hazard a kind of rebel whiteness obviously it's a kind of near confederate thing as as well but even mm-hmm. that is a set of demands and a and a it's a kind it's a sort of uh you know, it's ressentiment in that in that kind of uh, precise sense of a of a of a kind of wish to tear down the the liberal elites or the coastal elites or whoever is sort of defined. I mean, it's and and it's it's you know we have this rhetoric of of the evil globalist, which mm-hmm. you know has a trace of a sense that you know of of the narrative of you know, manufacturing jobs and so on, having been, uh, you know, exported overseas and a certain sort of uh, white white working class American good life having been mm-hmm. destroyed so that profits could be taken by you know, capitalists and financiers in, in New York. I mean, it makes it ironic. That which the person, they were. <laughs> yeah, which, 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 which they were. I mean, we're, yeah. you know, I mean, in the middle of the pandemic, we've seen an upward transfer of wealth that is, is sort of mind boggling. I mean, it's completely yeah. mind boggling. And, you know, I still haven't kind of sorted out in my own mind, you know, where that stops. And I mean, I think, uh, you know, we don't seem to have political mechanisms that would uh, make redistribution plausible. I mean, it's been a, a very good job has been done in the last, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, in the last century, really, of 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 kind of delegitimizing any notion of of government as an agency of redistributing wealth for the for the good of the population as a whole. I mean, we're back to the social relations of the Gilded Age. Uh, We, you know, I mean, I know there are some commentators who think that, you know, this really now is the time for a kind of antitrust movement, that that's our best bet of of some kind of rebalancing of of power. And, And I worry that if there isn't that rebalancing, then what we're left with is a, is you know is this this kind of rage in one form or another i mean you know this a population who who are being beaten on every side and are uh, mm-hmm. kind of uh, tormented by too much information and and you know will will turn in in you know to whatever kind of uh easy answer seem to be available yeah cuz you know as soon as trump was banned from twitter and then just like suspended from Facebook and Instagram until the balance of power is changed. Um, you know, these 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 platforms that have created all these algorithms to not make the internet a public square, but like your bedroom where all of your favorite things are there and you don't encounter very much of anything that you're not gonna like. 
and just giving you more and more and more of the of of Q stuff, of flat earth stuff, whatever. Do you feel like the fact that conservatives now are kind of taking this on as, you know, the the overreach of tech companies, which, by the way, has been true since, you know, it's been like the past 25 years. This is not this is nothing new. But since conservatives are taking this on as their issue, being like big tech is censoring me, even though big tech does far worse things than, you know, tell this guy who was like threatening to nuke North Korea that he can't, you know, he can't do the Twitter anymore. Like, <laughs> is there is there is there hope that, you know, because the pandemic was politicized. It became this conservatives think what thing, uh, you know, fuck masks. And then people on the other side were like, no, let's wear masks and make and make that kind of our thing. Like, is this going to happen with with tech? I mean, for for now, I think that's going to happen with everything. I mean, we have a we have a neat a, a sort of toolbox for for generating cultural war wedge issues out of almost everything. I mean, this mm -hmm. isn't you know this isn't something that has happened completely without agency. I think it's coming out now that one of my favorite people, Stephen Miller, actually was <laughs> a person who advised Trump that mask wearing and kind of the pandemic could be a wedge issue and it could help define his uh his people against uh an oppressive other um you know i mean you know and they they killed a bunch of people by doing that i mean they've killed yeah. many many thousands of, of 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 people who would otherwise not be dead i mean i i mean yeah you know i mean and that's all kind of boiled down right now as we're talking to this story about the the little panic room full of uh, Republican and Democrat Congress people who, you know, and the, the, the Democrat legislator handing out masks and the Republicans refusing. And now there are three people who've tested COVID positive. Yeah. Um, you know, so that's a kind of microcosm of, of, of how everybody feels about each other. And, and, and that has been, that's, I think one of the great crimes of this administration is politicizing public health information. You know, if the CDC oh, had been able to, to to call it as it saw it and if if uh the message from the administration was we're going to follow public health guidelines and the science to the best of our ability there would have been a you know i mean we wouldn't be here right now no. i mean we wouldn't have three hundred fifty thousand uh dead and a wrecked economy and all the rest of it uh you know we wouldn't all be sitting you know, at home doom scrolling and 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 you know disconnected from each other um is this the fault of the tech companies in part? Certainly it is. I, I don't think Mark Zuckerberg is a force for good in the world. I don't think mm -hmm. that the level of, of, of power that he has is uh, appropriate over public discourse, but that's also true of Rupert Murdoch. You know, it's not, yeah. you know, it's, uh, it's not uh, completely new that wealthy men with agendas are able to impose those through the media properties that they own. Um, I think, you know, I, I'm 50 years old. I, 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 I came up using the internet in the very early days of, of the kind of, I don't know, the home internet and, and you know, the early nineties is when I was first online. And, and my belief was at that time that, that the internet was going to be this fundamentally open, unowned space. Yeah. And that there was going to be a possibility of a sort of uh, grassroots emergent 
organization that would bypass things that you know i didn't like like corporate power and and the nation state and and so on and you know boy was i wrong about all of that it, it you know the the decision or the decision to let the the big tech companies enclose the internet you know much like kind of landowners in 18th century scotland enclosed mm. moors and grazed sheep yeah. on them it's the same thing i mean these are these you know information is a commons i mean our you know health information we have discovered is a vitally important common good yes um, and we've we've just discovered to our cost what happens when uh, when our access to high quality unbiased health information is is polluted and at the same time the internet has been turned into a kind of attention machine and the output mm -hmm. is is uh, information about our activities that can be can be packaged and and sold to advertisers the advertising based internet is is one of only one form that the internet could have taken mm -hmm. uh, and yet that's the one that we have and and is extremely it, it, you know it's an extremely toxic thing it is too but yeah i mean i've seen in in recent days you know bitcoin and, and kind of crypto proponents saying well the bands are going to have a huge cultural effect internationally because they you know they'll they'll finally kind of focus people internationally on the, the idea that too much of the internet is controlled by us-based corporations and that they need an mm -hmm. infrastructure to uh to bypass that and you know you look at china which is which has had a project to to make its own information infrastructure and very successful and there is a desire to do that in other places like russia and so on and the crypto people say well actually all this is just kind of doomed to failure because of first mover advantage for the americans and the only thing that will will you know, this will drive people towards crypto. This will drive people towards a kind of fully decentralized internet, which I suppose is a version of that open internet that that was the kind of '90s vision. You know, I mean, mm. we, you know, that that internet was domesticated partly through fear of of, of what's the, the shock troops of terrorism and, and pedophilia were used to get people to agree to various sorts of surveillance and intrusion and you know and those... all sorts and hackers too right yeah the idea I'm... that you could open up a website and you would your computer would be infiltrated at all of your you know like as soon as the internet was safe enough for online banking there was no way it was going to be anything but a tightly controlled corporatized space and all the utopian ideas that it was founded on or even the idea that, you know, instead of throwing your computer out every three years, you have to you could actually just upgrade it and not and not be, you know, have allegiance to one giant company over the other. Like all that went away. It did. It did. And I and I wonder, you know, I wonder whether it's gone away permanently or, or whether our kind of de our desires will actually find some sort of fuller expression. You know, I mean, I'm, mm -hmm. you know, not a day goes by as a writer when I wish that I could ha I could have a modular when I don't wish I could have a modular word processor where I could yeah. just have the, the features that I want and that I use every day rather than having to load a massive bloated piece of kind of corporate nonsense with the talking paperclip or whatever you know, <laughs> into my onto my machine i could have this kind of lean little thing that would allow me to to have the the functionality that i want i mean and that and that kind of thought was what uh, what it could have been and and might and might be again but i think you know we have to 
we have some fights with with big tech i mean it's it, there is this kind of interesting sort of yeah i mean right-wing nationalist argument against big tech right now which is which is all mm -hmm. all around the kind of paranoid notion of 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 censorship there's something much more fundamental as i say to do to do with information gathering and advertising and the kind of monetization of attention that but you know but mainly i mean we are discovering that the, you know the, the it's it, there are problems with having the public square in private hands that they you know i mean in general yeah. our problem right now politically is the is with the idea of the public you know there are our information silos mean that we don't have a reality that is commensurate with our neighbor's reality if we don't agree on the basic facts uh, of existence how can we decide how best to do anything and you know a solution a partial solution to this is to is to work out ways that we can once again agree on a shared uh, a shared reality and that may involve a you know a very large intellectual and social project to kind of re reimagine the, the sense of public space and i mean and that has to be a kind of post neoliberal thing you know the 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 story of neoliberalism which seems to be kind of you know seems to fairly definitively run off the rails now was this yeah. kind of you know you are the you know you are the sort of individual entrepreneur of the self and you know you'll you know you and your little brand will go forth into the into the world and and you know every, everybody will emerge with some kind of wonderful consensus and and mm -hmm. you know we are going one way or another to have to find a way of talking about shared reality and about community and about, I mean, a lot of things that uncomfortably sort of smack to a lot of American people as, as socialism. I mean, no shared mm -hmm. public health. I mean, the whole public health infrastructure is better handled by countries which are, well, I, mean, I, I say that, I mean, I've just been talking to my German friend who says it's a complete disaster in Germany. I was going to make a kind of uh, case for social democracy there, but I think I'll, I'll uh, I'll back off that since there hey, it seems it's, to be a mess all over the place. It's definitely not as bad as what's going on here. I'm sure. No, I'm I mean sure, that's I mean, that's, that, that's very yeah. true. I mean, and, and I mean, I think I think actually in some in some ways the object lesson here, you know, the the most interesting kind of country to watch here from a disaster point of view isn't American, isn't America, but but but, but Britain. Um, Britain has this kind of a sort of nominal allegiance to these social democratic institutions, but has, you know, essentially outsourced everything. Uh, and, right. you know, and, and it's it's being run by, you know, a bunch of mates of the prime minister over drinks and in, in a club in, in London somewhere. And, and, and the whole thing is, is the wheels are falling off completely. And it, it, it lacks the kind of dynamic entrepreneurial aspect that is the sort of saving grace of, of the U S uh, and it lacks the kind of coherent um, social democratic set of institutions that it used to have and that it has hollowed out over the last 30, 40 years. So it's, it's having the worst of, of all possible worlds and the infection rates and the, all the rest of it are, you know, getting on as bad as they are here. I think it's some in some places worse. Yeah. No, I mean, um it, we could have had like this, you know, the idea that there is a second strain that is more more easily spread than the initial strain that traveled around the world and killed almost two million people. It's I mean, because we couldn't nobody was willing to like shut down the economy, just like make everybody stay at home for six weeks because that would be somehow a violation of 
personal rights. Yeah. Or, yeah. But actually, the you know, might have been bad for the economy. Oh well, look, actually no, uh, economies. Uh, well, the, the people who you know trade in commodities are fine, but everyone else is kind of just uh, struggling for food. I mean, there is the another thing that's become starkly apparent during the pandemic is is this sort of the difference between people who make money from uh, from the market and people who make money from wages, and yeah. that's a kind of that's a, a split within the the kind of upper middle class, you know, as well as as you know. I mean, we we habitually say, oh, there's a, you know there are workers and then there are bosses or something like that, <laughs> but there are a great uh, number of uh, educated people from relatively wealthy backgrounds who were foolish enough to go into jobs where they got a salary rather than uh uh rather than into speculation and uh and they're being kind of shoved downwards as the as all the money kind of flows towards speculators and so there's a there's a, all sorts of you know and the idea that the market has boomed in this time of general suffering and crisis shows that the market is not the economy and that's mm -hmm. a very fundamental realization that I think a lot of people hadn't had up to up to now. As Donald Trump would say, 401k. <laughs> Am I right, folks? You love to see it. You love to see it. Um, I wanted, how do you think, I mean, again, speculation, how do you feel that the movement will proceed? Will Donald Trump sort of set himself up as like, you know, in England, they have a shadow government and that for the first time in the United States will have like a shadow government where Trump is the shadow president and he the White House is Mar-a-Lago and he's making his own decrees. Uh, yeah, from I mean, I think I, th I think the idea of Trump as king in exile is 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 less plausible than it seemed to me. I thought that's I thought that's the way it was going to go. But I think the the insurrection has has made that much less likely i mean i have to say the 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 idea of a shadow cabinet in the in the uk is not it's not quite that it's just that everybody <laughs> no. there's a, it's just like everybody no. is you know everybody the opposition party has a spokesman that has to kind of comment on you know it's basically here's who we would put up if we had the if yes. we had the job because there's not that tradition of kind of appointing people to uh to cabinet positions from from outside i mean it's it's all it's all kind of professional politicians but anyway the, i think the the idea of trump as as, as a kind of eminence grease kind of uh, you know making a kind of alternate reality and maintaining it is uh it's probably the reality is probably gonna be less coherent than that i don't i don't see any of the family at this point being able to uh to remake themselves out of the shadow of of what's happened this week you know I mean, I thought if Ivanka was going to primary Marco Rubio, I thought she was going to beat him for sure in yeah. in Florida. And now I think I think Marco and his Bible verses will will win the day against you know against Ivanka having to answer questions again and again and again. I mean, maybe you know maybe the best outcome of this week is the immolation of Josh Hawley's career. Uh, right, you know, a hypocrite of such enormous proportions you know a banker's son educated at stanford and yale who tried to kind of make himself into the figurehead of this working class populist movement i mean hawley hawley deserves to i don't know to have to to go back and be a teaching assistant at yale law rather than have any kind of meaningful power i'm hoping that he won't be a senator anymore but i don't know who will be able to kind of provide a 
a kind of coherent political project for for this you know inchoate mo- resent- movement of resentment to to organize around i mean maybe we're we're doomed to have to listen to tom cotton for for uh you know the fourth the foreseeable uh future i mean i think the, the bellwether the, the kind of you know the the litmus test will be what happens to people like marjorie taylor green and lauren bova right. and these new this new breed of fully kind of queued up gun ladies who are who are you know who are in there to kind of you know mess with things you know and if they survive and thrive then uh, then i think we've you know we we may we may see that this was a rehearsal for a much more organized kind of fascist coup attempt if it if it splinters and fragments and this turns out to have been a kind of high watermark of the movement then then that's all to the all to the good but you know, I, I do, I do worry that none of these problems are going to get. You know, the fundamentals are not going to change. You know, the economic right. fundamentals are going to get worse. The you know the uh, the fallout from from the massive and increasing wealth disparity is going is going to get worse, and that a more organised bunch of people with uh, you know with the fair, with the sort of the the very wealthy people who have been financing. Uh, Breitbart and Parler and uh, and all the rest of it, you know, if they can find somebody more coherent to get behind, then next time we may we may not end up with a democracy. I think you know anybody who's trying yeah. at this point to say that, you know, this was I, I saw I, don't know, I saw one guy who I won't mention a kind of big internet commentator saying, oh, it was just a sort of goof bunch of goofballs. They had no plan. I mean, mm. I think we came very very close to the end of. Uh, 200 years of American democracy this week and anybody who doesn't take that seriously uh, is is part of the problem. Yeah, I mean, because you, if you notice in the crowd, it, there weren't militia guys there. It was people who had attended this speech who perhaps some of them were police officers. I don't know, maybe they saw their buddy at the Capitol Police and were like, hey, dude. But they, the, these are not like the actual people who would lead an armed insurrection. And it's tempting to worry that what happened on January 6th was just more insidious right-wing militia types, neo-Nazis, et cetera, testing out the bounds of what you could do at the Capitol. And the Capitol is all around the country. Because if those people who entered the Capitol were armed, that would have turned out very differently. But that's not what they had in mind they weren't certain of what they had in mind i think you're right i think i think there was there, there may have been elements who had some kind of plan you know the zip tie guys who people have commented on and yeah. there seemed to have been this is coming out that there was some sort of conversation beforehand people were swapping manuals about uh insurgency te- techniques and so on mm-hmm. but i think i think you're right is that the vast majority of people didn't know what to do when they got in there but we're you know we're having this conversation on 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 tuesday the 12th and there are you know demonstrations protests planned for all 50 state capitals between now and the 20th and um i i would be very surprised if if there wasn't violence at some of those protests i mean i've been seeing a steady stream of of various kinds of lawmakers being stuck in airport lounges with people maskless people yelling at them right because they're now on the no-fly list 
Yeah, I mean, and, <laughs> like, the, and the kind of the no fly list thing seems to be a bit confusing as as well. The kind of there's some, I mean, at least one of those no fly list videos wasn't a no fly list video. It was just some guy being taken off a plane because he wouldn't wear a mask. The guy who oh. was yelling about they called me terrorist. He wasn't anything to do with the Capitol protest, and it was. But anyway, yeah, I mean, there's a there's a. I, I think we've got a we've got a, a long hard road for the next for the next eight days and it's it remains to be seen whether there's any appetite in I mean I I wouldn't like to be in the Pacific Northwest right now I think Oregon no. has you know the Portlandia kind of <laughs> myth has been thoroughly has been thoroughly yeah. destroyed in the last year or two. Um, I think you know in those sort of places there may be appetite and there may be enough uh, militia types who who feel that they could uh, at the very least make some kind of statement. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I was very nervous earlier today when I saw that you know Trump was speaking at well not the Alamo but at the town <laughs> called Alamo and I thought well right. that's uh, uh is you know is he going to use this in order to to you know basically try and kind of pull the trigger on another. Uh, in a more serious kind of violent action, but you know, instead he 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 just bumbled on about his greatest hits and 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 talked a lot of nonsense about you know, about China. I mean, he kind of you know, he kind of went through twenty names of of, of the virus, um, <laughs> and I don't know. Maybe you know, maybe maybe we got lucky this week, but I I think that uh, we've got a long way to go. Yeah, yeah, that. The idea that this is over, that anything to do with Trump or because this it's again, this is a QAnon is a deeply felt belief. It's it's a lie, but it's, you know, when when people say, oh, I can't talk to those people who believe that Lady Gaga eats babies, it's ridiculous. And it's like, well, you can't talk to somebody about their belief in a way that's condescending. That's just like you're wrong. You have to kind of there. There are ways. I mean, it's it's being deprogrammed from a cult, and there are certainly ways to do it. But just saying you're wrong and dumb, that just yeah. makes sure that it's going to keep going. Yeah, I mean, and I th- and I think people must be allowed to sort of you know I think the you know the foot soldiers of this thing, the kind of leisure mm-hmm. queue people, uh, you know, need to be able to sort of slide quietly away from some of the more extreme positions that they found themselves taking you know and uh that you know that will be more helpful than a lot of you know high horse condemnation um and you know while i think it's important to to refute falsehoods and to hold the line very firmly is about you know certain things are true and certain things are not true to say that very Mm -hmm. plainly at the same time i think it's a good exercise for people who are appalled by Q uh, to just think about what feelings Q expressed like what is the actual kind of emotional content as opposed to the you know supposedly factual content of Q and it's it's people who kind of you know they're they're scared and confused and they've been poked with sticks (laughs) and you know the world appears to be to be you know falling apart around them and um you know, we need to have, you know, structures, social structures, intellectual structures, structures of, of, you know, belief that allow us to sort of come back and share a reality again, and and to to sort of to 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 build, and uh, that's, 
you know that's not that's not a very sort of easy thing to to do but that's that's the job in front of us yeah well thank you so much i think this was illuminating good <laughs> right. because we are the illuminati <laughs> i put all the clues on the money yeah i'm teasing you then we it's just right there. <laughs> we tore the masks off at the end and you know, yeah. the lizard faces emerged you've been listening to the harper's magazine podcast produced by violet luca and andrew blevins the music is cut and shoot by febrifuge Harper's Magazine is the oldest general interest monthly in America, exploring the issues that drive our national conversation through long-form narrative journalism and essays. To get 12 issues for $21.97, visit harpers.org save. 